Good morning, church. So good to see all of you. We're going to dive into God's Word. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Psalm chapter 67. We're walking through and actually coming to the end uh, right here of this City on a Hill series. We've been talking about for several weeks what does it look like to be uh, God's transformed people shining as lights in our community and in the world. And so uh, this is the... This is the last message in that series, and so it's going to be a little bit unconventional, kind of like last week's, because what I've been trying to do as of mainly last week and this week is to, to process some of the things we've been seeing in God's Word over the past several weeks, and to process them in a very Brook Hills conscious kind of way. So we're thinking about this in terms of the story God is writing right here with our members in this local church, and so I'm going to try to save some time at the end to talk about some exciting news related to our campus development project, um, and then we're going we're to look at this glorious text from God's Word. I, I, before we get to this, I want to just review some things. In case some of you weren't here last week, I want to review some things um, for you. So just backing up, hitting rewind for a little bit, back in 2017, we had a series that was really important. It was a stake in the ground series, and it was called We Are. And we walked through eight distinctives, and we looked at them from God's word so that we could see these are things God calls his people to pursue, uh, passionately go after as his church. And so if you combine what we studied there in 2017 with what we've been studying uh, here in 2019, it looks like this. So this is us. This is handles on what we are and what we pursue and the attitude in which we pursue it as a church. We pursue transformation, so we abide biblically. We pursue worship, so we gather faithfully. We pursue community, so we connect meaningfully. We pursue kindness, so we welcome graciously. We pursue ministry, so we invest sacrificially. We pursue outreach, so we engage locally. That's what we were just talking about in Love Oliver, one expression of that. We pursue missions, so we reach globally. We pursue faith, so we risk intentionally. If you were here at the very beginning of this particular series, the City on the Hill series, I, I used as an illustration to start us off uh, something from the annals of our, the Mason family history, reaching back to the uh, Little League experience we had with our son, William. And that's where, you know, all these young boys, and they're on the field, and their eyes are every which way, and they don't, they don't know how to focus. And so this, this coach, uh, he got on his knee, and he got on the, on the mound, and he would do the same thing. He had a bucket of balls next to him, and he got on his knee, and he said to the boy who was on the plate, he said, you see this? Hit this. And then he grabbed another ball. See it? Hit it. 30 balls. Just throwing at the same kid. See it? Every time he said the same thing. See it? Hit it. And this series has been our effort to say, really in a sense, to hear God say from his word, you see this? Hit this. This matters. Aim at transformation through my word. Aim at encouragement and edification as you gather together as a church. Aim at community and deep fellowship and membership together in the same body of Christ. Aim at kindness through the gospel. Aim at mission and outreach and all these things. We've just been holding them up from God's word and hearing him say, you see this? This matters. Aim at this together as a church. And there they are. So transformation, worship, community, ministry, kindness, outreach, mission, 
and faith. And then we had uh, last week this, this picture of a tree. And this is kind of the big dream. This is the big goal. I think it's a metaphor that, that um, makes sense, right? So we want to be a tree where the canopy reaches as far out as the roots run deep. Talked about this a little bit last week. We don't want to be a tree that's top-heavy. We don't want to be a tree that's it's got this great, awesome reach, but the, the roots are so shallow. The lightest wind will blow that thing over. It can't, it can't stand up in a storm. Um, but it offers a lot of shade, but it, it doesn't have sustainability to it. And neither do we want to be the tree that has these deep, wonderful, impressive roots for the sake of the impressiveness and depth of the roots, but it offers no no reach out into the, the world and the brokenness of our city and, and what God wants to do out beyond our fellowship. So we want to be the tree that has both. We want to be the tree that has roots sunk deep in gospel grace, deep in biblical fellowship, deep in God-centered worship. And that's just running deeper and deeper and deeper. But then those roots are sending life up into the trunk and out into the branches, and they just keep spreading further and further and further. So that's the, that's the big dream. That's the vision for us as a church. We want both, not just one. We want roots and reach. So last week, we looked at a roots and reach passage in Psalm 48. It had both of them in there. My hope last week was to get us fired up about the roots aspects, about what God is, not just what God is doing through us, but what he's doing here in us, in our lives, restoring, strengthening, healing. And even to see how Psalm 48 indicates that good things that happen here don't stay here. Good things that happen here Grace never stops with us. It moves out, right? That, that's the big idea. So this brings us to another Roots and Reach passage right here in Psalm 67. I'm going to read it to you beginning in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Psalm 67 is legendary at the Church of Brook Hills. This passage was like a surgical tool in the hand of God, and we haven't been the same since. This passage got on us, and it's affected us as a congregation. This psalm, friends, explains so much about who we are. It explains so much about why we pray the way we do, why we give the way we do, why we go and send and advocate the way that we do. This psalm puts that story together. This psalm explains everything from Love Oliver that we just prayed for to Birmingham Gospel Outreach right here in the city, from Brook Hill Stories Night to Global Offering. It explains so much of what we're into and passionate about as a people, as a congregation. And Psalm 67 is a church 
that is not content with the status quo. This psalm, particularly the last verse, verse seven strikes me as a church stepping up to the plate and pointing at the upper deck. It is a swing for the fences. This is the big thing that we want. This is our passion for the glory of God. Verse seven, God will bless us, and here's how that shakes out. All the ends of the earth will fear him. (laughs) And how about a God-sized Glorious worldwide vision is right here at the end and summit of this text. And we know that's not just wishful thinking in an ancient poem. That is indeed exactly how this thing's going to go down. How do we know? Because we have a preview window into the future in Revelation chapter 7. And here's how things shake out. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. So this is, as far as your eye can see, the nations of the earth saying this together, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. It, that, friends, will be the most awesome moment in history. It's going gonna, it's gonna to shoot electricity through the new creation. It's going to be an awesome thing. So what do we see here in Psalm 67? We see roots and reach. We see the roots of gospel grace extending the reach of gospel mission. Let me say that again. We see the roots of gospel grace extending the reach of gospel mission. Two simple points. The first is this. God's smile gives life to the church. It's the root of gospel grace right here at the beginning. It starts with this sort of reminiscence of the deepest and richest benediction in the entire Old Testament. It was also uh, frequently called the Aaronic blessing. This is what Moses said, say this. Aaron, as the priest, say this over the people of God. We're on our way out of Egypt. We're in the wilderness, but we're going somewhere. We're going to the promised land. He said, Aaron, these are the words I want you to say over the people. It points all the way back. These are the words that Aaron spoke. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord, he said, Bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. If you were an Old Testament believer, this was the dream. This is why they didn't greet each other and say, what's up? They said, shalom. He said, peace be upon you. This holistic life-changing peace. And, and what you see there in that original ironic blessing and right here in Psalm 67 is a metaphor of God's countenance. It's talking about his face shining, this beaming, favorable inclination toward his people. You know how um, as a child, it didn't take long before you learned when to ask for the things you wanted, right? You learned mom's 
face. You could look at her face and you could know now isn't the time, right? Her face isn't necessarily shining on me right now. This, so this is not the favorable hour. Like, so, so what we do here is we wait, we pray, we make her coffee, right? We, we, and then we reapproach. When the time is right, we look for the shining face and that's when we strike, right? So you learn these kinds of things instinctively. Here's the thing. What we see here at the very outset, right out of the gate, is God's face shining on his people. And it's an image of God's delight in his people. What, what you believe about God's disposition toward you as a Christian will affect the way that you live your life. If you think he's always mad at you, if you think he looks in your direction and he's generally disappointed most of the time, that's going to affect the way that you live your life. If his resting face looks like a furrowed brow over your life, that's going to affect the way you walk in this world. In other words, if you lack assurance of God's grace, your engine won't work right. As a Christian, it won't function the way it's supposed to. That's why God gives us assurance of his grace in so many places in his word. The, the great um, 17th century theologian, arguably the greatest English-speaking theologian in the Puritan stock, was John Owen. Brilliant man. He is frequently reduced, though, to the category of being the sin guy because he wrote a lot about sin and how to fight against sin. Romans 8.13, he wrote an 86-page, tightly-packed, single-spaced book about Romans 8.13. How do you mortify the deeds of the body so that you can live? So he was always talking about sin and righteousness and how to grow in sanctification, but, but it would be a misread to reduce him as the sin guy, as the guy who's fixated on all the stuff that's wrong in us. Because when John Owen asked the question, what is the greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on God the Father this was his answer. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. How life-changing it is to know we are loved eternally by God. The reason so many assurance passages are in the Bible isn't simply because God loves his children eternally. It's because he wants us to know that he loves his children eternally so that we can appropriate that truth in the way that we live our lives. It changes you to live under the favorable glance of God in the gospel. Mary Ann Bird was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1928. She was born with a severe cleft palate and cleft uh, lip, which required 17 surgeries deep into her teenage years. And she tells the story of the painful experiences that she had as a child growing up. And then she tells the story of how seven words changed her life. She said this, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. 
I was convinced no one outside my family could love me. And she says, and then, and then I came into second grade and we had the greatest second grade teacher ever. Her name was Miss Leonard and everyone in the class adored her. She, was, she said she sparkled was her word to describe Miss Leonard. And she said, Miss Leonard would give an annual test, hearing test, to each one of the students. And so as everybody's doing their busy work, she would just go through the roster and day after day, she would call one student up and she would say, just stand here against the door and put one hand over your ear. I'm going to whisper something and you say it back to me and that's going to prove that you can hear me. And so she would, she would say things like, she would whisper, the sky is blue. And then you would hear the kid up in the front by the desk say, the sky is blue. And then she would sit them down, and the next person would come up after that. The next day, she would say, whisper, do you have new shoes? And you would hear the kid say, do you have new shoes? So climb into that little girl's experience, that little girl's shoes, and there you are. You've been called up. It's now your turn, and you're standing against the door, and your hand is over one ear, and the most important person in the room says these words to you. Seven words changed her life. She said, those seven words changed everything. God, God affirms his love for his children. He is not reticent. He is not withholding affection. He is rather loud about it, right? And you see this pattern start right there with his own son who's right there in the flesh, enters into the waters, and what does God say over him? He goes into the waters of baptism. God says, he's mine. This is my son, and I am well pleased with him. It's a boisterous Word of affirmation. God's pleasure is announced right there at the start. I'm reading Tish Harris, Harrison Warren's excellent book. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary. I read it last year. Couldn't get enough of it. I'm reading it again this year. And she points out, she goes, walks you right up to this moment. She says, when the father declares Jesus at his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, she says, Jesus, Jesus hasn't done much of anything. He hasn't healed anyone. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't resisted Satan in the wilderness. He hasn't been crucified. He hasn't risen from the dead. He hasn't done any of these. He's made some tables and chairs with Papa Joseph, right? That, that's what he's done. He hasn't changed the world yet. He's about to get wet. And here comes this boisterous word of affirmation. She writes these words, Jesus is sent out with a declaration of the Father's love. His every activity unfurls from his identity as the beloved. He loved others, healed others, preached, taught, rebuked, and redeemed, not in order to gain the Father's approval, but out of his rooted certainty in the Father's love. That'll change your life. You know what that, that reality illustrates? It illustrates this truth, that the Christian life is grace from beginning to end. It's not grace, he gets us started, and then it's, it's all up to us. It's grit to the finish line. It's grace from start to finish. Of all the world religions, this is in your notes, Christianity is the only religion in which God declares us loved and accepted before we've done anything for him. In other words, it's him saying, you had me at I believe. You trusted me and we were home. 
You trusted me and you were mine. Before you gave to Love Oliver, before you started the adoption or foster care journey, before you sponsored a child through Compassion International, students, before you went to DR and Ecuador and Guatemala, he was already shouting his love over your life, his claim of you. And so then you ask the question, then then what's the motivation, right? But look, here, if you understand gospel grace and you live under the shining face of God in Christ, do you want to go less or more? Do you want to give less because you don't have to or give more because you don't have to because you're loved that thoroughly by God? It'll change everything. God's smile gives life to the church. Second, God's church brings joy to the nations. His church brings joy to the nations. You see those words at the end of verse one. May he make his face shine upon us so that, there's the result of the shining face, so that your way may be known on earth. Friends, there is so much God-glorifying fruit in the area of mission in our church. It's unbelievable. So last week, I told you in preparation for the Roots message that I reached out to our local disciple-making team, and I said, tell me everything. Tell me stories. Give me stats. Give me places where people are and what God is doing. And they filled up my inbox, and for two and a half hours that Thursday afternoon, I just scrolled and read Kleenex, dab my eyes, scrolled and read awesome things God is doing, rooting us in his grace, coming alongside one another as members of the church. And then this week, I made the same request of our Brook Hills City ministry staff and our same request of our Brook Hills global staff and just said, tell me everything. Give me the stats, give me the stories. I look back even to older stuff that was sent to me before. I found a six-page, closely printed, single-spaced document that came just with stories of all the things that God is doing, many of the things that God is doing. In other words, what I'm about to read to you, and this is just a sampling. I wish I could read everything that I read yesterday to you, but we'd be here for a long, long time. Here's the idea underneath all this. Being deeply rooted in grace creates tremendous energy in the church toward love and service in the world. If I could put one sentence over the top as a banner over everything I'm about to read, it's this. The smile of God does crazy things to people. The smile of God, it's the smile of God that explains why Riley and Jess Ross would buy an extra car so that missionaries could have one when they come home. It's the smile of God that explains why Alan and Dina Long started an orphanage for young ladies in Central Asia. This is the explanation behind a group of Brook Hills members who were meeting early this morning to FaceTime and encourage Beth and Caleb who are serving in Southeast Asia. It's the smile of God that explains why JT and Cheryl Turner have committed their whole lives to encouraging and strengthening local churches in Guatemala and Peru and Slovenia. It's the smile of God that explains why Joanna Bean, ninth grader, spent her spring break with other Brook Hill students in Dominican Republic sharing the gospel. I read that one last night, and I just, it just opened up the fountains 
Just praise God for his grace and our students. It's the grace of God that compelled Royce and Sandra Watkins to move to Kuala Lumpur to spend their retirement showing and sharing Jesus. It's the smile of God that explains why the global team spends every Monday morning praying for our missionaries. It's the smile of God that explains why Chris and Leah in East Asia have been steadfast and resolute even in the face of great threat where they are in the world. That's just some. I could read for so long. And then even right here, right here in our context, this is going to be woefully short of a representation of what's happening here. It's the smile of God that explains why dozens of our singles and college students spend their free time sharing the gospel with neighbors and training others to do the same. It's the smile of God that explains why we have so many men and women who are spending their retirement serving and investing in students and teachers at Oliver Elementary. And finally, it's the smile of God that explains why member Tiffany Hailston's little girls pray every night before bed for Brook Hills missionaries. Look, I, I read that and dozens more last night, and I just wept for joy in my office at 11.30 last night. And here was my first instinct. When I hit reply all to the people who sent those stories, by the time I read them, I hit reply all. And my first words were the ones that I felt right there as I read it, and it was this. I walk among giants. (laughs) What am I doing here? Like, you people aren't normal. Like, you don't happen in this world. You don't happen in a world that's bent on me and mine. Something messed you up, and I pray you never get straightened out. I pray it, get, it just becomes contagious all across our church family. Something tweaked you, and I think I know what it was. He made his face shine upon you. That's the magic. That's where everything changes. You've, you've been a little off ever since he shined, and it's changed us. It's given us a passion for these things as a church. Brook Hills, if his face shines on us, we won't have to be cajoled into mission, prodded into mission. This is a missional psalm, but it has no commands, no imperatives, Right at the geographical center of this psalm, right there in the middle, you see how God's great story ends. He's bringing his people, as we talked about last week, he's bringing his people into his place under his rule and blessing, and we find out as we read these verses that the people he's bringing into his place are from all the nations, are from all the peoples. You notice the repetition. Just let those words jump off the page. Verse 3, the peoples, all the peoples. Verse 4, the nations, the peoples, the nations. Verse 5, the peoples, all the peoples. What are you seeing right there in the center of this missional psalm? You're seeing God locked in a thousand-yard stare. You're seeing God's daydream scenario. And what does God, the sovereign one, dream about? The nations before him. Doing what? Rejoicing, shouting for joy, and praising him for satisfying them with his goodness forever. That's the vision 
But if you ask the question, how does that vision obtain? How does it take place? How do we get from where we are to Revelation 7 when all the nations are bowing and worshiping him? What domino tips what dominoes tip over to bring that about? And the only domino that falls in this passage falls in verse 1. He makes his face shine on us, and it's curtains. The rest is history. This is in your notes. The church won't shine out until and unless we are first shined upon. You see that language there again? Just look at it. Roots and reach. I'm not making that up. It's right here. God makes his face shine upon us, and the nations will know. It's like a causative relationship. It's like saying the rain falls and the grass gets wet. It's his face shines, and here come the people from all the nations coming to worship God. It's so matter-of-fact there in verse 7. Look at it one more time. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. <laughs> no, no wonder the Apostle Paul said to church at Ephesus, he said, here's how I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will be rooted and grounded in love. I'm praying your minds will explode with a sense of, of comprehension of what Christ has done, the, the breadth and length and height of his love for you. Why does he pray that? Because grace truly tasted becomes uncontainable. It becomes contagious. Grace never stops with us. So Brooke Hills, four, four takeaways from this series. Number one, join the community. Join the community. Membership matters. So encouraging to see in the last membership class um, two Saturdays ago, the tables of students who were there, students whose presence in the room was their way of, uh, of saying, I don't want this just to be my parents' church. I want my elder interview. I want to learn what we're about. I want to take notes. I want to fill in those blanks and learn what are we into as a congregation. I don't want somebody just to feed that to me. I want in. <laughs> that is so healthy. That bodes well for our future, the generation coming behind us being all in for the local church. So if what we've been seeing in God's word these last 10 weeks, if it resonates with you, don't look at the story from afar. Jump in. Jump into the current of what God is doing here at Brook Hills. Number one, join the community. Number two, value the connection. Value the connection. And here I'm talking very specifically about this project that's right out in front of us that's about to begin, this campus development uh, project, right? We're, we're about to invest in intentionally designed ministry spaces. We are not investing in a building, that cheapens it. We're not buying sheetrock and steel beams. We are investing, rightly considered, we're investing in ministry and in mission. I found this note this week. Um, 
it goes all the way back to the year 2004. It was written by John Piper. John Piper loves the nations, wrote a pretty influential book called Let the Nations Be Glad that's affected churches all over the world with a passion for missions. This note was written by John Piper in 2004, and the backstory and context is Bethlehem Baptist, the church that he pastored at the time, had just purchased a building. And it was a sizable investment for their congregation. And this is the note that Pastor John sent to the congregation. I quote, A little after 4 p.m. on Tuesday, June 15th, John Grano, the vice chairman of the Council of Elders, signed the documents that transferred the building at I-35 West and Highway 10 to the ownership of Bethlehem Baptist Church. That evening... The elders bowed before our merciful God and gave thanks for his unspeakable faithfulness to bring us this far. We prayed that beyond all that we can now dream, God would make his name great in this place. And note the prayer. Oh, that this building would be a place where Jesus Christ is treasured above all things, including buildings. I love that addition a place where thousands of children grow up in God-centered truth, where thousands of teenagers see Christ as more desirable than the fascinations of their generation, where adults are awakened and sustained by the glory of God in the face of Christ, from which mercy flows in practical helpfulness across Moundsview in the northern suburbs, where thousands of missionaries are called and nurtured and sent to the unreached peoples of the world, where marriages are made strong and single people are sold out for Jesus, and where people ripen in old age as sages for the kingdom. Friends, do you see what that prayer brings together? Roots and reach, even connected to something as tangible as a building. I, I can't wait for this facility to, to be finished. Not because I love, I just get so excited about the smell of new carpet. I just, oh, I can't, it's really, it's awesome. Um, I get excited about this, this facility being completed because I can't wait to pop in on Brook Hills Kids and see faith trainers watering seeds. And who knows what happens next in the grace of God, how those callings get nurtured in the future under the hand of of our God. Join the community, value the connection. Third, resource the mission. Resource the mission. So, I've said this before. If every member of the Church of Brook Hills started giving consistently just to our regular budget, the ministry and mission possibilities would be unbelievable. The kinds of things that we could do here in our city and around the world would be unbelievable. So let me just think, talk to you one more time about this plan. So this, this campus development plan and how this connects to this moment right here. So the original plan that we laid out before you is 
in the fall, and we voted as a church family, and we said, as the Lord lays on your heart, there are going to be opportunities for you to invest in this and to bring this campus development plan about. We talked about the gap that needs to be filled. We talked about how much money we have on hand and the expense of the project, and that there's a gap right there, and we're going to have to step up as a church family, and that we were encouraging you, as the Lord lays on your heart, to even begin giving now as the Lord leads you, and then that there would be opportunities in 2019, here we are, in 2019, for us to have a kind of corporate, collective, let's be all in, let's move forward kind of moment. But, um, but we talked more as elders here recently, and, and we thought that approach is good, but it's, it's not great. It, it seems strong in the, in the categories of wisdom and, and stewardship and prudence. It doesn't seem as strong in the category of forward-leaning faith. And even as it relates to mission, so, so far we've been talking about this investment in, in this way, that roots do contribute to our overall reach, but the investment in this project asks for you to embrace that concept, but it doesn't show it to you tangibly. That's why we went back to the drawing board and talked as elders about a new possibility, and we said, what if it became a tangible relationship between the roots of the church and the reach of the church? What if, this, what if we called it the Roots and Reach Initiative? What if when the construction machines came onto the, onto the premises, onto the property, what if we said the Roots and Reach Initiative begins now and there's a new plan? What if the first million dollars that comes in, 20% of it goes to missions and just it waits there? And then the next million that comes in, another 20% goes to missions. And then... You're kind of following this picture of how the roots then feed life back up and out and, and stretch the tree further. What if the tree started to stretch? And what if the third million, 30%, fourth million, 40%, fifth million, 50%? And then what if we had a team that was already put together? At some point, we put this team together, and it's, it's comprised of people who are all in for the global mission of God's kingdom, and they're conversant with what God is doing in the world and what unique opportunities there are in the world. And we got that team and just said, dream a little for a while. And put some things, as it were, put some things on a chalkboard and put the cost of that thing next to it. Things that we have not been able to do, things that we would love to be able to do would make a massive difference for the impact of the gospel around the world. Could you just dream some and write that on a board and then we get the opportunity as we invest in this to come back to the church over and over and just say, guess what we just did? <laughs> We've just moved from this, we just did this awesome thing by God's grace. And now what do we get to do next? This right here, let's go for it. Then this, then this. And maybe we just look at that and we just get to go nuts over both the investment in the roots and the investment in our reach and to see a tangible relationship between those two things. We share that and had that conversation as an elder council, and I'm telling you, the, the tone in the room changed perceptibly. Suddenly, there was a sense of pushing to the end of our seats and saying, okay, now, now that would be fun. That could be a blast. And I hope even now, so we've got more to share in coming days. I hope even now the impulse in your heart is, yeah, that would be awesome. Let's do that as a church. So I wanted to make you aware of that 
change in the approach. I think it represents faith that God is building in our hearts as leaders, and I hope you respond and rise to the occasion as a church. So more on that in coming weeks. And then finally, be all in. Be all in. And what I mean is be all in now. It's 2013. We are far from perfect. We are not the only church in this city, and praise God for that. Praise God for the other churches in this city and the strengths of other churches in this city. Hang with me here. So I don't, I don't remember the moment how deep we were in our marriage. I think it was a few years before we had a conversation that I thought would be predictable but wasn't predictable. So the predictable flow in our, in our engagement period and then into a few years of our marriage is at random moments of the day, if I would tell Paula, I love you, she would say, I love you. So that was kind of the, that's sort of our liturgy. So I say this and then you say it back to me. And then there was one point, some point into our marriage, a few years into our marriage, where she threw threw me a curveball and I said, I love you. And she didn't say, I love you. She said, why? Which changed everything, right? Um, And and here's what I learned about marriage. When the question why comes, the longer you wait to answer that question, (laughs) um, the worse off you are. So bottom line is you need to have that why like right here. If need be, you just write it and put it in your wallet. Review the why as often as possible so that when that curveball comes, you're ready for it. You saw it. You were ready for it. You know what this series has been? This series has been my effort as we look at God's word to fill your pocket up with the why. Why why love this? Why love the church of Brook Hills? Why be all in right now? Why invest everything you've got in what God is doing now and he's about to do in the future? And I hope these last two weeks have allowed you to get two big categories. Here's why. Because roots run deep here. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We minister to one another. We restore marriages here. Lives are changed here. Children learn the gospel here. Roots run deep here. That's one of the big whys. And here's another why. We reach here. Those roots aren't just deep so they can be deep. They send life up into the trunk of that tree and they feed branches and those branches keep stretching and stretching and offer more and more shade to the world. If I ask you the question, do you love the local church? Not just the local church. Do you love this local church? And maybe you say yes and then I want to say, why? Do you feel the joy of what God is doing and is going to do. Part of me hates that this series is is over because um, I love having the define the relationship, the DTR talk. I'm into that. I think it's great to have kind of very collective consciousness talk about this together. This is what we're into, right? We're into this, right? Look at each other in that way. I I love that. That's part of why I hate that this series is over. But part of me loves that this series is over. Because after you have the define the relationship talk, you get to direct your attention to actually having the relationship. 
That, that's, the, that's the gem, that's what you're after, is living this thing out together as a church. And what better way to signify that we're a family with a mission, one family with a mission, than to do what, what families do, to meet at an ordinary place where families grow, and, and, and that's the table. So it makes a whole lot of sense, not only for us just to end this service the way that we often do, but to end this series as a family at the table. So I want to invite you to stand. And before we come to the tables, this series has been so significant that I I want us to mark it out as a special moment for us as a church. And the way that I want to ask us to do that is if you would, right now, all around the room, would you raise your hands? And and here's here's my hope and my prayer is that... um, is that what you see around this room is an outward sign of an inward reality. That this is us in a posture of the heart, not just the body, a posture of the heart that says, Lord, we are, we are fully yielded to you and the story that you write in the roots and the reach of this local church. Would you be glorified? And so would you continue to raise your hands as I read this passage over us? May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you. God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. And all God's people said, amen, amen.